What's up, Lion Cook Nation? This is Ray DeLucci with Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. On this episode, I get to interview Chef Jessica Larigo. And basically, this interview is really cool for me because, one, Jessica's from Buffalo. Um, and for like the 10 people who listen to this who don't know, I'm from Buffalo. Uh, so we definitely start out talking about some uh, Buffalo uh, regional dishes or regional foods. Uh, so if you're not from Buffalo, you won't understand really what we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, um, so I got, that's kind of how we connected. Um, she uh, was listening to a podcast of mine and she messaged me and she's like, hey, you're from Buffalo. Uh, so am I. And uh, she's taken such a cool route since going to Buffalo um, or since leaving Buffalo, I should say. Uh, she went to the Culinary Institute of America. And then after that, uh, she, you know, we're going to her story, but a big highlight for her was working at Muguritz in Spain. For those of you who don't know who or what Muguritz is, it is a restaurant in Spain. Uh, it is one of the best restaurants in the world. It's one of the most innovative restaurants in the world and in, in the Spanish country. And like I said, if you don't know what that restaurant is, you should definitely look it up. Uh, it's something that has, you know, influenced a lot of chefs in the way they cook and just the way they present food, the way they think about food and the way they just look at food as a whole is so different than I think most other uh, restaurants out there and chefs out there. So definitely go give them um, a look and you know be sure to do some research on them. She was also on the Netflix show, uh, The Final Table. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Netflix has its own cooking, cooking show uh, with real chefs, like actual real cooks from, you know, around the world. And she was one of the contestants. You can go watch her on Netflix. So feel free to go watch that, her episodes. Uh, she does a great job, especially in the Spanish uh, episode. Uh, she's able to pull off a great dish with her partner. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I really was just getting to know her. I hope she comes back on the show in the future because I feel like we can have so much more to talk about. Uh, but I really wanted to understand how a cook from Buffalo makes it all the way to San Sebastian, Spain. Right now, she's a chef at uh, Gerald's Bar in San Sebastian. And yeah, I mean, like she's killing it right now. She's you know, cooking the food she wants to cook and she's living in the Spanish country and it just makes me so proud and so hopeful and so optimistic to see someone from Buffalo become so successful. And, you know, definitely uh, a big inspiration for me uh, coming from my home city and it's just really nice to see, like I said, someone from there uh, becoming so successful in the food industry. And it's nice to have someone who I can relate to and someone who uh, kind of gets where I come from uh, because I know a lot of you probably have never even been to Buffalo, but it's not the culinary capital of the world. And it's really, I don't know, I just really enjoy seeing people who come from Buffalo get exposed to so many great things. Now, feel free to check her out on Instagram, at Jess Larigo. Uh, she's got a great following, and she posts some pretty good-looking food. And I don't know, I just think you all will enjoy this conversation really, really, like, I just think you're going to enjoy it a lot. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like studying my words right now. Um, but yeah, I just think it was a great conversation to have between me and her and yeah like i said check it out on netflix feel free to follow her instagram page and thank you so much chef for coming on uh, i truly meant a ton uh, to talk to someone like i said from my own city where i grew up and this talk inspired me and what how you work and what you're doing inspires me a lot uh, so thank you so much for being on my hook nation thank you so much for listening to another episode and here we go going now all right chef uh thank you for being on the podcast welcome to line cook thoughts if you just want to start out by introducing yourself that would be great yeah i'm jessica larigo 
um, from Buffalo, New York, and I'm currently working and living in San Sebastian, Spain. Awesome. Um, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad to have another Buffalo native on. You're the second one to come on uh, this show. Uh, what was it like for you growing up in Buffalo? I know how it was for me. But what was food like for you growing up? Kind of what was your food experience like uh, as a child going into being a cook? Um, food experience, I would say it was pretty basic. Um, just came from like the typical, like middle-class American family, um, you know, just kind of like chicken breast, pork chops, um, spaghetti and meatballs, like just, you know, really typical, um, food. I really didn't get into like, you know, I, I didn't even try lamb for the first time until I was 18, you know? So, um, yeah. And fish as well. Like, um, so yeah, I was just pretty normal, I would say. Nothing out of the the ordinary. Okay. Were you uh, big into Tim Hortons? Oh god, I love Tim Hortons, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Awesome. Yeah, if you're not I know it's a more Canadian chain, but it's always nice to talk to people. So Tim Hortons, what about bison dip? Um, I don't know. Were, were, did you ever have bison dip? Like was that something you had a lot or Oh hell yeah. Whenever I go yeah. home, my mom always buys me um the French onion bison dip. So that's all <laughs> for me in the fridge. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. For people listening who don't know, it's a sour cream French onion dip uh, for Western New York. That for me is my favorite childhood snack. Um, it's loved by many. Uh, there's so many places I, I guess I could mention, but I know I just had to know if you enjoyed bison dip because for me, that was like the cornerstone of my childhood in terms of snacks and what I enjoyed for food. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it's always good. Whenever I go home, my mom has bison dip uh, Tim Hortons ready to go, you know, you know, pretty much whatever. And I, do you like, uh, do you like flats for the wings or do you like the drumsticks better? Uh, I'm not too picky. I would just have to say that I'm like, they need to be really saucy. So okay. I could do either. Or. I am more, I think, I guess I would lean more towards flats. Um, okay. but as long as they're super saucy and yeah, like really messy, that's, that's always really good. What was your favorite wing spot? Oh man. So I used to work at um, my first restaurant job. I worked at BW's Barbecue. Um, okay. And so like they did wing. I mean, we did wings and stuff like that there. But I guess like my favorite wing, I, I don't really have a favorite place now because I've been out of Buffalo for so long. But mm-hmm. I got, like a barbecue wing just and then char grilled over like, you know, the fire is so good. But then, you know, your classic Buffalo as well. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely. But yeah, I... I I guess like when I go home now, we usually get pizza from like um, Blaisdell Pizza, and okay. it's always pretty good. Like, um, definitely not too picky. I just love to go home because I only go home maybe once or twice a year. So whenever I go home, I just binge, and everything. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, if next time you go home, if you do have the time, uh, check out Elmo's. They're a they're a wing wing spot. Um, I. Out and I think it was in North Tonawanda. Oh, okay. And they had the best wings I've had, which is weird having it out in North Tonawanda. But um, they had they had really good wings. Uh, so that's my recommendation if for when you go back to Buffalo. About like what time did you leave? So you went to CIA. So I'm guessing you left Buffalo around like 18. Yeah, I left right after high school. Um, nope. Yeah, it was pretty okay. clear that I didn't want to stay in Buffalo. So um, yeah, as soon as I finished high school, I went um, that summer to the CIA. And I started there in 2009. Okay. Um, 
so are 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 you? You're, I'm guessing you're not too familiar with the Buffalo food scene. Like, I'm not sure if you. I don't, I don't know what it was like in 2009. I left for school in 2015, and I've been back. I worked this past fall for about six months at Oliver's. I don't know if you know that restaurant. Um, but I, the food scene in Buffalo right now has been like growing a lot. There's a lot of really cool chefs and whatnot. I don't know if I, don't, I just want to know like when you left the city, what was the food scene like in your eyes, or I guess what did you know about it? I didn't really know too much about it, to be honest. I felt like it was kind of like a dud, like there wasn't really much happening. But now, like, um, whenever I talk to people back home, everyone's always telling me like the food scene is just growing and it's gotten so much better. And everyone is like, hey, go here or check out this brewery or go downtown and go here. And I'm like, I have no idea um, <laughs> what that is, where it is. Like, I think I don't even know the last time I driven downtown, um, you know, is I just yeah, I, I really... I guess that's pretty sad. I don't really know much about um, the Buffalo food scene at the moment. No, that's fine. Yeah, I didn't know a lot about it until um, honestly a chef that I used to work for just took me out one day and like showed me all of his favorite restaurants. Um, but it definitely, you know, working there this last fall, like just seeing what the chefs are doing. I mean, you know, it's Buffalo at the end of the day, but they're doing a lot of incredible things. So, you know, it's just, it's interesting to see. But the reason I asked you that question of like, what was it like for you is because I try to explain, I've talked about it on the podcast a couple of times, for me, how eye-opening it was to go from a place like Buffalo to the CIA and just like hear about the Michelin Guide and Thomas Keller for the first time. What yeah. was that like for you? Just like going from Buffalo and just being like, for me, I, I just completely fell in love with food at the CIA because it was a whole new world that I have never even heard of. What was it like for you? Yeah, I would have to say it was about like about the same. I mean, it was kind of just like a whole eye-opening experience. I remember um, when I was at the CIA, and, you know, you do the externship. Um, I went to D.C. for that. And I remember, like, this vivid memory of trying, like, time roasted lamb um, for the first time. And I was like, okay, wow, this is, like, what is lamb? You know what I mean? I, mm -hmm. So, yeah, getting introduced to, like, all these new kind of, like, products and, like, foie and, like, you know, seeing everything that you see as well at the CIA, um, I was just, like it was just beyond, I mean, coming from Buffalo, I mean, you know, Buffalo, obviously, like, it's just, even Niagara Falls, I'm assuming it's just like, it's just such a small town um, vibe. Yeah. You know, and everyone, it's just really that middle class, like, everyone kind of does and eats the same thing. Um, so it was really nice to, to kind of like, have your eyes open, right, and kind of learn this whole new side of, of what food could be. No, and all product. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I remember arriving at the CIA campus, and they have a a big picture of Thomas Keller on one of the on the side of the Rosenthal uh, building now. And uh, I remember seeing that for the first time and being like, "Who the hell is that?" Yeah. And feeling, like Enrique Olvera was my like my first week of school. He was in one of my orientation uh, seminars speaking, and I had no idea who he was, and everyone was freaking out. I was like, who is this guy? I, like, I felt so out of the loop and, and uh, like out of the know. Um, but, you know, like that energized me to learn as much as possible and like become like the most, like the like really well read and, you know, just have more knowledge of the food industry. But I, I was not expecting when I first got to see everything that was going on that I had no idea. So. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sweet though, right? Like it's, it's almost like humble beginnings because you, you know, you and I both, like, we go to school and we don't really have any idea who these people are. And then you kind of learn about them as you go. And I think there's something really quite sweet about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I agree. 
it's nice to know it's nice to get those different backgrounds of people and like seeing where everyone else comes from um but yeah it definitely it definitely is a good experience to start so like, what was your experience like at the cia well the cia so like for me when i went there so i was there from 2009 until 2011 i just did the associates um degree in culinary and it was like when i think about my experience i loved it i mean I think now it's kind of, it's more modern and they changed it, but I felt like back then it was still like kind of holding on to its roots. Like it was still true to what the CIA was back then. Um, mm. But there was, I really loved it because it just was self-sustaining. So, you know, when you even first went to like your first skills class and you start learning how to like brunoise or, you know, make a stock, all that gets cycled through um, the whole school. And then, you know, going through the other kitchens and, and making Asian cuisine or Mediterranean or, you know, you're, you're feeding the student body and the faculty and there's something, it's just, that was really, really cool. And I think mm -hmm. that for me, the CIA was like a really good fundamental. I think a lot of people as well, like some people say you don't need culinary school. And I definitely agree with that. You, I don't think it's necessary, but the CIA at that time was such a good, like learning, you know, about fundamentals, um, and that really helped me, I think, in, you know, going down my career path. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I had a blast. And I met so many cool people along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I agree that not every chef needs culinary school. But I know that for me, I w like I said, I wouldn't have had the experience. For me, I, I related to this. Like, I learned my fundamentals. I learned, you know, how to cook there. But I also learned or I also gained connections that I never would have had if I had never gone. Yeah. Um, there's so many places and experiences and people I met through school that like if I had never gone to the CIA and I just went to a community college in Niagara Falls, I would never have gotten the experiences, the trips, the just the great people I've met, you know. So, I mean, that for me, the school especially was about the connections and stories you get to hear and learn and grow with as you're like, when, as you're like going throughout school. So. Oh yeah, definitely. And there's like so much history with the CIA as well, you know. So it's like, you know, in a, in a way, you you see all that history as well. It's really nice. Yeah, definitely. And so, is there like any chef that stuck out to you the most that you remember? Um, you know, your fundy chef or fundamental chef, or is there like one person that stuck out to you throughout the entire two years? Oh my gosh, I wish I. This is so bad. I can't remember his name, but I had him for. Um, I think it was chef of the Americas and I just can't remember his name, but we, we connected really well. And, um, he was such a nice man. I really, I just can't remember his name. That's so bad. Um, was it, uh, Phillips, maybe? yeah, uh, he, he had black, I black think, hair, glasses, black hair, glasses, like kind of curly, curlyish hair a little bit, yep. kind of long, like it wasn't short. Okay. Was he like thinner, um, tall, lengthy, yeah, that was, that was Chef Phillips. Yeah, so, yeah, me and him got on really well. Um, yeah, I used to, like, go up, you know, into the office area and just have chats with him sometimes. And, um, yeah, he was great. I think he was definitely the one that I connected with um, the most while I was there, especially when I was in his class as well. Mm -hmm. Do you remember his lectures, like, how interesting they were? I wish I say that I could. The, his okay his cooking was great but what i loved most about him was his lectures he was i i remember sitting in one of his classes and hearing his lecture and being like this is the most interesting like 
talk about American food history I've ever heard in my entire life. And it, yeah. it's still true today. I don't remember what the lecture was on. I just remember the feeling of like, this guy knows how to like, how to teach and how to get it across in a very like entertaining way. So yeah, yeah, I really like that Phillips a lot. I, I remember making Johnny cakes in this class. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot to, uh, to remember. I mean, culinary school is only like bits and pieces. Even now I'm, I just graduated last, this last summer, but still like there's so much you go through that. You, and yeah. there's like little things you remember every, every other day. That's just like, Oh yeah, I forgot that happened. Yeah. And it's like, and I graduated eight years ago. It's like, I can't, you know what I mean? It's, it's like mm-hmm. so mind blowing. Like you just think about it and I'm like, Oh my God, that's almost a decade ago that I graduated culinary school. Um, the time goes by so fast. And then, like you said, like, it's so hard to remember every single detail. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so after you went to, or after you graduated culinary school, what was your next move? So after that, I went to DC because um, I had externed in DC. So I went back there um, and where I had externed, the chef at the time, he was um, getting ready to open up a new restaurant. So by the time I graduated, he basically was like, hey, you know, come back to DC, come work for me. Um, so I did that and I loved DC so much. That was like definitely some of the best years of my life were spent in DC. Mm. Um and yeah, I went, so I went and worked for him. It was a place called Rogue 24. Um, it's now closed, um, but it was a 24 course tasting menu restaurant and the the kitchen was in the middle of the dining room. So it was just kind of like this, like, you know, it was almost kind of like this kind of Noma-ish style where like the chefs would run the food and, you know, interact with the guests. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. I was in DC from 2011 until 2013. Okay. And what did you like, was it hard to put out a 24 course tasting menu consistently? Yeah. I mean, it definitely take, it took a lot of work. I mean, and also you're working in like small, you know, everything was like very small quantities. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but yeah, I mean the team there as well was really like, we had a really nice team and, you know, I had one of my mentors there. Um, and so he kind of took me under his wing. So like I learned, you know, a lot just from him. Um, you know, cause doing like 24 course tasting, that wasn't, it was really fun at the time. And, you know, that's what I thought I wanted to do. And, you know, I was still, I was quite a young, um, cook at that point. I was, you know, like 20 years old. Um, and so I really didn't know, you know, where I wanted to, to go and what I wanted to do. So it was a good starting point. Um, I mean, you got to start somewhere, you know, and, um, but yeah, it was definitely hard. Um, the chef as well, like, he, he was a really nice guy, but he was like, he would always kind of change his mind. So you always had to be on your toes, um, and just be ready for like a Saturday afternoon menu change. And he wouldn't change just like three dishes. You know, he would want to change 20 courses, Mm. (laughs) you know, it could be, it was kind of chaotic at some, um, times, but yeah, it was, it was fun as well. You know, I learned a lot. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, I, I I can't imagine I can't imagine doing twenty four courses uh, just because I I did a tasting menu for my chef before I left Buffalo uh, in December and I remember doing like it was like six courses I think yeah I remember that was a lot uh, for two people and so I, I I have like mad respect for you for like for being able to help put that out because I, I I can only imagine the work ethic it must take to be able to pull it all together yeah I mean it was. 
long days. I mean, you know, we didn't work like, well, I think we started at about noon and then we worked until we finished about 11 at night or so. So it wasn't too bad. It's like your typical um, work day. But yeah, it was definitely, some days were definitely hard. Um, But yeah, the work ethic, I think, you know, that's an important thing to learn as a young cook. And um, so I was definitely grateful for that. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And what was your, uh, so what did you do after that? So after that, um, in 2012, I was still at this place and a buddy of mine that, you know, I went to the CIA with, he, you know, called me up and he was like, Hey, what do you think if we just go, um, stage in Spain? And I was like, you know, what, where is Spain? Like, you know, I was just, you know, not, I never even thought I'd leave in the U S so I, I was just kind of like, okay, yeah. Um, sure. You know, <laughs> that. um, and he was like, yeah, you know, I think we should apply to go to Muguritz. And I was like, well, what's Muguritz? You know, like, <laughs> it's kind of like your Thomas Keller moment, right? Like, um, and I was like, okay. And, you know, I'm kind of just like, you know, I'm very, um, like if an opportunity comes, I just jump at it, you know? So mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, sure. You know, let's do it. Um, so we applied and I really wasn't expecting to get in or even to hear back. I was like, well, this is just a shot in the dark. Um, long behold, I heard back and they had accepted my application for the 2013, uh, year. And I was like, oh crap. Like, okay, well this is happening. Um, I'm about to move countries. I have like, you know, five months to get my life in order, you know, get a passport because I didn't even have a passport. Um, and then tell my chef at the time, like, well, Hey, I'm peacing out. Like (laughs) I'm going to stage in Spain. Um, yeah. So, you know, in 2013, I left the U S um, came to San Sebastian, the Basque country. Um, and I did nine months as a stagiaire at Mugritz, um, for the 2013 season. And that was just like an eye opener. That was like just a lot. Um, it was a lot at once. I mean, you know, that was the first time I left the States. Um, first time working in a Michelin, you know, kitchen. Um, they were, when I got there, they were like the third best restaurant in the world the San Pellegrino list, um, new language, new culture. Um, yeah. So I did that for that season. And then that stage carried over for another five months into 2014, um, where we helped with the, um, the research and development, um, for the 2014 season. Um, okay. yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a crazy story in itself. I mean, so just to start off, I just read uh, the newest cookbook by Mugritz, uh, Vanishing Points. Yeah. Which was really great. I, I loved the um, – it was very abstract, and it wasn't really like a cookbook in like the traditional terms. Uh, I've never had to – I've never been fortunate enough to eat at Mugritz or, or to actually travel to Spain. What was it – so this was, this is what's staying in my mind, that you were from Buffalo, and I, I know like how I would feel if I got to go to Mugritz. Like – and to go to Spain, what was it like just like going into that world? And then like th- thinking back on like, like you said, humble beginnings, like, like how, like how do you feel about that sometimes? Like, I feel like it would just blow my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's, it still blows my mind that like, I still even live here, you know, six years later. I mean, when I got here, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Um, so I had bought like the Mugaritz book like three months before I left and, you know, tried to start reading it. And, you know, I read up until the recipe started and I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to go for it. Um, 
And when I got here, it was like just a, it was just a shock, a complete shock, a culture shock. Um, like the whole kind of kitchen culture as well, not just, you know, like day-to-day Spain, you know, Spanish life, just the kitchen culture is a lot different as well. Um, I don't know if it's just Spain, but I think it's probably in Europe as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a new language. I came here, I knew no Spanish. Um, I didn't even think about that part, you know, before I I came. Um, It was so hard. I really struggled the first month or two. I really had a hard time adjusting. And I thought to myself many times if I made the right choice, if it was the right move for me to do this. Um, But in those moments, you know, yeah, I just, I just stuck through it. And um, it was quite brave as well in a way, because, you know, I just remember leaving the States for the first time and traveling to international airports by myself. I was like, just turned 21 and, you know, (laughs) had no idea what I was doing. Um, Yeah, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Okay. You go to Spain and you go to Mugaritz, which is number three in the world at the time. What was the experience like at Mugaritz? Like what, like, cause so I guess I've never worked there, never eaten there, but from their book, I gathered, it's not like every other kitchen. I feel like the way he describes food and whatnot, like what, like if you could describe it, it like, I don't know, just tell me your experience, I guess I'm, I'm talking too much. Um, so I guess like for me, and, you know, some of the other people that I staged with in 2013, it was just kind of like we were in a bubble. So it wasn't even like real life. It was just like we were in this bubble called Mugarit's. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, it's just it's like no other kitchen. I mean, they the way they think and approach food and the way they function and um, the discipline in the kitchen. And it's not like a, a harsh miss like military discipline. It's just like a very focused everything straight and perfect discipline. So, and you just learn like how to just keep your head down and, um, and work, but not in like a, not in like a, you know, a bad way. Um, yeah. And it's just like in the way that they, yeah, like they approach food and look at the ingredient and then take that ingredient and decide if, you know, okay, should we make this dish based on a technique with this ingredient or should we, just show this product as itself, you know, or just tell a story with this product. I mean, everything was just so different. It was, I've never looked at food or even like thought of looking at food in that way. So it was just like the first nine months I was there, I had no idea what was going on in the outside world. It was just like, you know, you lived, you know, breathed and like slept Mugaritz and, you know, you were working six days a week and you were all living in, um, one house up in, you know, the middle of nowhere, Spain, you know, in, in these rolling hills surrounded by, you know, cows and sheep. Um, and you're living with like 20 other stagiaires. And so, you know, you live together, you work together and you went out and you like on Sunday nights to, you know, party together. And it was just like, it was just insane. It was absolutely insane. Okay. What, uh, what stations are you responsible for? Or like what food, items were you responsible for plating Um, or cooking or yeah so the kitchen is broken down into they have a production team um and then within the production team they have um a couple of people that will be like responsible for the stocks all the the stocks and stuff for the whole restaurant um and then there's a gardening section so 
they're responsible for, you know, the garden going out and um, foraging in the nearby like mountains and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there's um, the grill, um, which is like one of those Jasper uh, type grills. Okay. Um, then there is, um, then you have service team. So in the service, um, there's the pastry section. Then you have the like dry, well, what they call it was like the dry storage pastry, which was kind of like pastry production. So um, they did everything kind of like the big bulk pastry prep, uh, making ice creams and, you know, making, you know, petty fours and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there was the fish section meat um, kind of like first hot small plates. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's, and then I think sometimes, and then depending on the year and depending on like what items they have on the menu, they'll just create new sections. Like I think a couple of years ago they had the fryer section. There was a lot of fried, um, stuff on the menu. So, um, they had like one person responsible for the fryers. (laughs) Okay. Um, I was responsible for, I rotated through the pastry section, um, the like hot for small plates, production, garden, and my favorite was the stock uh, stocks. Okay. And why was that your favorite? That was my favorite because it was just like pretty hardcore work. I mean, it was like, you're responsible for, for like 13 different stocks um, from start to finish. So that was like receiving bones, you know, then depending on what stock it was, um, maybe you had to roast veg off, maybe you had to confit garlic, maybe, you know, you have to roast all these baby pig heads or, you know, then you had to pressure, all the stocks are basically pressure cooked. So there was like these two, um, I'm not sure, it, they were like probably 50 or 60 liter pressure cookers. So, you know, you're working two pressure cookers um, and some of the stocks you had to pressure cook twice. You're responsible for then straining all the stocks. Um, And then if they need to be clarified, you're freezing them, clarifying them, bagging them, then, you know, organizing them per section. Yeah, it was just a lot of work. And I love that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. And you learn so much about stock making and their stocks are quite simple. They weren't really too intricate. It was. Yeah. And they, they measure the stocks as well by the bricks. So you had one of those, um, not sure, like the bricks measurement kind of like thermometer looking thing that you put. Yeah. Um, you look into the light. Um, Mm. yeah. So that was really cool as well. That was the first time I worked with one of those. Um, and like some stocks, I mean, you would start with like probably, you know, 30 liters of water and you were reduced to, you know, two liters of stock. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a crazy reduction. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And so, what what do you think you learned the most through your time in those first nine months? I think, you know, for me at Mugaritz, you don't really go there to learn how to cook. Um, mm. You go there for everything else. So for me, I got out of it was like just the the discipline while working, um, the organization, the clean, the cleanliness cleaning there is insane. They clean the kitchen four times a day from the ceiling to the floors, including like, you know, all the fridge, like legs, um, Mm -hmm. you know, scrubbing the floor. So all these kind of like organizational cleanliness, the discipline, the, the work ethic, um, you know, doing things properly the first time working straight, you know, keeping your section clean, um, taking direction, 
well in listening. All that is what I learned and what I got out of it. And then of course, like, you know, you, you learn as well how to look at product differently. Um, and you know, not to mention all the techniques and stuff. And, and they don't, to be honest, like it's not, it's, some people might confuse muguritz for like this kind of molecular, like albuli type, you know, style. And it's not like that at all. They, they barely use any of those like texturedas pro- products. It's, it's really just, um, kind of more, I would say it's more Japanese technique than anything. Um, okay. yeah, they have a lot of influence from Japan. Okay. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people have that conception. I mean, I think I had that conception until I read their latest book and I realized it was more of the way they look at food in terms of like what, like what is right, what is wrong. And, and you know, obviously, you know, you work there, but, um, yeah, I mean, you, my chef that trained me, Ross, uh, he actually kind of followed the same path you did. I think he graduated in 2009 um, from the CIA. Uh, he worked at LBE in 2011 for their last season. Oh, wow. Yeah, he said that moving to Spain was very transformational for him. And it seems like it was for you as well. Like, just living in Spain in general, like, the, like how is the culture with food? How is the culture, like, in terms of respect for food and cooks? Yeah, so um, out here, I guess I'm going to speak for, like, the Basque country, which is northern Spain, because... I've never, I haven't really traveled too much to the South, but they always say, um, like Southern Spain is just a completely different country. It's always like, um, it's just so different than Northern Spain. So especially like, you know, where I live in San Sebastian, the, the connection to food is like, is, is really strong. Um, basically the culture here is everyone just, you know, goes out on their daily life celebrating food and drinking. So, you know, whenever you're going to go out and do something or you're going to hang out with friends or, um, you want to get together with family. Everyone is just out in the streets, you know, kind of doing like a pincho crawl, which is like pinchos is that Basque kind of like tapas. It's always kind of served on a piece of bread. Um, like go from bar to bar, they'll have a glass of wine or have a beer and then, uh, or like a vermouth, grab a pincho and then move on to the next place. So, I mean, their life is really just celebrating food and the product. Um, and they, and they like, have the product here is amazing. I mean, and people pay for good product here. I mean, they're not, they're not afraid to put, you know, pay a pretty, a pretty penny for, you know, some wild mushrooms or, or the first peas of the season that they call teardrop peas. Um, yeah. So it's just like, it's just completely different than the States. I think in the States, it's more like everything is kind of fast and I want it right now. And how can I do it, you know, easy and quick, um, Whereas here, it's just, it's more like slow approach to, to living and, and mm-hmm. more like slow cooking. Um, so that's just like day-to-day life. And yeah, the cooking culture is quite, it's quite strong. It's quite, um, in Northern Spain, it's quite, how would you say, like, um, they have their base cuisine that they love um, and they do really, really well. So that's what they just focus on. Um so I learned like some really, you know, cool, like Spanish techniques and, or Basque techniques, I guess you could say that, you know, I've never seen done in the States before. So, so yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really different. And I really love it here. That's awesome to hear. Uh, what was it like working with uh, Chef Andoni uh, at your time with Mugaritz? Yeah, he, he's an interesting guy. He's, um, I'm sure back in the day, like he was different, but when I was there, um, he was, 
he was quite calm. And, you know, when he was in the kitchen, he was just observing. And if he saw something that he didn't like, he would tell you. Um, but he was always very quite, you know, he would tell you calmly. He wouldn't ever, um, you know, lose his, his shit or anything like that. Um, but yeah, he, the way he speaks is just, he just has this way of speaking and like telling a story and it makes you feel so connected and you, you get like quite emotionally involved, right? He just kind of, it's like he sucks you in, you know, and you kind of like, um, yeah, he has a way of, a way of speaking. It's like hypnotizing. Um, yeah, he's a really, really nice guy, a really nice guy and just loves food and loves to eat. That's good. And so after you were working at Muguritz, you got to help him open another restaurant? Yeah. So, um, I stayed on. So basically when I, when I finished my stage, that was in May of 2014. Um, and they approached me, they're like, Hey, you know, um, we're going to be opening up this kind of Mexican Basque, uh, Latin restaurant in September. Uh, you know, do you want to get on board? And I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, I didn't, at the time I didn't want to come back to the States. I was really keen on staying in Europe. Um, but because like being an American, it's quite hard with the visa situation, like to go to Denmark or to go to any other European country. So I was like, you know, they were going to help me with my papers and all that. Um, so I was like, well, that sounds like a great opportunity. Um, so I took that on and it definitely didn't open in September of 2014. I was working on that project, um, until February of 2017. So it was a three year, yeah, like R and D um, working with uh, um, research and development chefs at Muguritz, kind of building up this concept that Andoni um, had in his mind. And so, you know, we started from just, you know, looking at what like countries, you know, are in Latin America and their food and then kind of like the stories of um, the Basque immigrants and how they, you know, travel to Latin America. So we started from there and then just, you know, built kind of the, we built the menu around the restaurant concept, if that makes sense. So Andoni had like this concept in his mind and, you know, he wanted to tell this story of, you know, how back, you know, in the 1800s and in 1900s, all the Basque immigrants fled to, to South America. And so we built the menu around that, that history. Um, and that took three years <laughs> and then, uh, wow. yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely a long a long process. It was rewarding, but it was quite like ruling at the same time. Cause it was always like, okay, we're pushing back the date. We're pushing back the date. Um, six more months, six more months. Okay. Now next year. Um, yeah, it was, it was hard as well. Um, yeah. So did that and then, you know, design the kitchen, um, you know, around, you know, the, the menu that we created and, and yeah, we finally opened in February of 2017. Wow. And how did that go? Yeah, it went really well. It um, it was a really hard opening. It blew up. I mean, especially with Andoni's name attached to it. Um, we were busy at more than full capacity every day for like a few months. I mean, there were days like we had to shut the door, just say like, you can't come in because like there's just wow. no space. I mean, it was one of the most insane openings I've ever done. And that was only, I mean, that was my second restaurant opening. So, um, and this was the first, it was my first restaurant opening as a head chef. And it was my first job as a head chef as well. So it was just all at once, like super hardcore. Um, and I think in those times, like you kind of just forget, 
you know, like I forget how crazy it was because it was like you're so busy, so stressed, um, so like, you know, high strung all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just kind of like erases from your memory. Um, yeah. It was insane. Hmm. I can't imagine like having the responsibility of helping open a restaurant from one of the greatest chefs of our generation. That just, I don't know. Your, your career has been like astounding um, so far. And so I, so I know then you were on the final table. Um, yeah. Before we get into that, uh, just kind of segue into that. I have not seen the whole season. I, I honestly don't watch TV too much, if I'm being honest. Uh, I watched the first two episodes. I watched the Spain episode, which you were in, uh, which I want to talk about, obviously, because you live in Spain and he was the, the guest judge, I guess, if you will. Um, but so you were at the restaurant and then what happened leading up to filming for the final table? Um, so I got involved with that, uh, with the partner that was on, on the show, Johnny Sparrow. Um, okay. so Netflix was basically in contact with him, um, you know, trying to get him to do the show. And so it was, you know, partner based. Um, so they were like, Hey, who would you like to be your partner? And he, you know, shouted out my name and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I felt so, um, humbled cause he's just an amazing chef and I look up to him so much. And he's just, he's one of my near and dear friends. Um, and yeah, so I started going through the interview process. Um, Netflix reached out to me and I really thought it was a scam. I remember the day I saw it and I was just like, well, this, this can't be right. Like, how did they get my email? This has to be some sort of a, you know, a mishap. Um, and I was reluctant to answer the email. And I think I messaged Johnny and I was like, Johnny, like, can you believe that they, you know, what this is? And he was like, no, 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 it's real. Like, you know, they were in contact with me and I was like, oh my God, like, all right. So we started going through the interview process, um, a lot of paperwork, Skype interviews. Um, yeah. And then, so when I kind of found out about that, I had to let the people, you know, um, from the restaurant that I was working at Topa knew, know. Um, and yeah, they were, they were really supportive and I was a little bit surprised cause I was like, well, you know, this is kind of the first year opening, like, how are they going to take this? This, this is going to mm-hmm. be create, you know, how am I going to leave for an X amount of time? Um, but they saw it as a really good opportunity and they were fully supportive. And I'm really thankful for that because I think that, um, I would have regretted it if I didn't, you know, if I wouldn't have gone through with it. Um, so I'm thankful for them for, for being supportive. Um, yeah. So it was, it was pretty crazy leading up until, until then. And what was it like filming and like getting there and arriving and preparing and, uh, I, I guess I like, what was it like behind the scenes of the show? Um, yeah, so it wasn't like when we were talking to the um, like the casting managers and you know the kind of the people that were the casting crew that were kind of like with us daily, like just watching us in in like um, the waiting room and that kind of thing. They always said like you know this isn't like any other show. Normally. Um, you know, for any other type of reality kind of TV show, they take your phone, you're kind of locked in your hotel room. You can't talk to any other contestants, but this was the total opposite. Like we had full access to our phones, to our computers. They knew that, you know, these high caliber chefs were coming in and they're running restaurants. Like they can't just, you know, leave. Um, yeah. Yeah. We had like, we were able to uh, mingle with, and you know, the other contestants go out at night, you know, go out to eat, do whatever, Rome, LA, um, it was really fun. I've never done anything like that. So it was, it was my first time in California. So that was fun. And, you know, film, we filmed at, um, Sony pictures. So that was really cool. 
Um, and just kind of like, yeah, it was just cool. Like, I guess you always think about like, oh, TV and this and that. And it was, it was crazy the amount of work that goes into the production into these kinds of shows as well, especially something like big, like Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, there was over like 250 people working on that set like daily. Wow. Yeah, it was insane. And um, they said in an, in an interview, like each episode cost a million dollars to make. I mean, it was just, yeah. it was an insane production and filming was, it was quite intense. I wasn't expecting it to be that intense. Like um, it is really stop and go. I mean, they have to get like the shot, the angle. And if they don't get it, they'll do it again. Um, I think our first day filming, we filmed 18 hours. And I remember just my knees, like everyone's knees at the end, we were all just buckling over because it like it hurt. It was like physical pain. Um, yeah, it was yeah. a really, really crazy experience. Really, really amazing as well. I met so many cool um, chefs. What, um, how, this is something I always wondered, and it might be a stupid question. So like, you all prepare your food. How, is it all prepared separately and then like shot together as like they go around or like? Like, how does that work, like, when the judges come around and taste the food? Because I imagine if you all cooked it at once, it'd get cold and... Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, you know, they they are tasting cold food, like. Um, and, you know, it's part of... They take, you know, the judges take that into consideration. Like, they try and not let that be a factor um, when they're judging. But basically what they did is, you know, they had to get the shots. Um, you know, we all put up the food and they have to get the shots, kind of the judges going from table to table. And then, you know, once they get those continuation shots, they went back and, you know, were able to to do the judging and stuff like that. It's definitely a, it's a long process. And then, you know, it makes you think about all these other TV shows like Top Chef or, you know, if it's done the same way, um, mm-hmm. which I'm, it probably is similar. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a process. And uh, what did you know that I like? So did you know the itinerary of like the countries you would be going into or like did they give you like at least the countries you would be cooking for or was it all kind of a surprise? No, it was basically all a surprise. Um, you know, like once the show kind of got rolling and stuff, I mean, then you could kind of be like, okay, well, you know, we did, you know, Spain, um, Mexico, then you kind of just think, okay, big countries, you know, you never know, like they could have threw in, you know, a curveball. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. That's good. I mean, I remember, I'm glad we connected because I remember when I watched the Spain episode, I think you're, yeah, Johnny, he says to you, I, I forget what you were saying exactly, but he was like, oh, like, stop, you're from Buffalo. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, let's, let's go. But um, definitely <laughs> was really in that episode. What was it like? Did you know like, Chef Andoni would be there? Um, No, I didn't know. I mean, well, I thought, you know, if they're doing Spain, like, okay, you know, it could be him or it could have been like Kike da Costa or, you know, um, maybe it could have been an Echo Acha from Ozermendi. Um, but when he was here, I was like, oh, crap, like, please don't go down in this episode. Like, I, you know, like, I can't go down this, this you know, when we were filming um, the Spain episode, I was like, this can't, we have to do good. We have to do good because it was like a lot. I was working for him at the time, you know, I was his head chef at at this place. And I was like, that would be so shit if I was like down on the elimination. Um, luckily that's I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's good. What, um, what about your Spain dish? Like, did you like the most? I know the judges were very uh, happy about the shellfish uh, emulsion. Um, 
I remember one of you saying it was like a risk to take on a plate. Like, what what was the dish like, and what was your inspiration for creating your Spanish dish? So paella, like, I guess it's yeah, everyone's it's like typical Spanish and right, but it's kind of only it's really quite known for in Valencia and like a little bit of um, Catalonia and stuff like that. Um, so like in northern Spain, like where I live, they don't we don't eat paella. Um, I mean, you can. You can make it at home, but there's not like restaurants here selling paella um, on their menus. But so I had never made paella before. The first time I made it was in culinary school and I burnt it. Um, And so I was like really nervous to find out it was paella. And then, you know, I talking to Johnny, you know, about what we were going to do. I think with paella, it can get quite lost because it's an easy canvas to just throw a bunch of ingredients on. And um, so I, you know, we wanted to keep it quite simple and, and straightforward and, um, you know, not kind of just bombard it with a bunch of different ingredients. So um, one of the ingredients I did use was this Basque um, pepper paste, which is just made from a typical pepper. It's not a hot pepper. It's just a sweet pepper that they dry and then they just make a paste. Um, so we use that as like the base with a little bit of tomato. Um, and I think the judge um, who goes by the alias Matosis, he um, he could he picked that up. Uh, he could tell that we had like kind of like a very true, just, you know, subtle paella flavor. And that's what we were going for. So and it, I think, you know, what helped was that pepper paste. It was it was good to kind of build that what would they call a sofrito. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Johnny made this awesome like shellfish mayonnaise that we made from here. It's really typical and really good to eat tinned shellfish, and it's like really of high quality. And they, you know, tin it in like a salt brine, um, which could be like razor clams or cockles or uh, mussels and stuff like that. Um, so he took we took cockles um, and blended those, and he made a, a mayonnaise with some sherry vinegar, and it was banging. It was really really good. Um, yeah, so it was just, and it was just, um, a really clean dish. And I think that's, that was good for our paella dish. Um, okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, well, congrats on being on the show first off. I mean, that must've been such a cool achievement um, to go on there and you gotta, I mean, for me, you gotta be a certain, you have to be brave to go on those because especially in our day and age with social media and a lot of the negativity that you can get from, if you mess up like a little bit, yeah. Um, like mad respect to you um, for going on and just like competing and putting your creativity and your heart out there. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, if I had the opportunity, I would probably take it, but I would be very nervous and very like, Oh my God, what are people going to think of me if I make one little mistake? So. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for, thank you. Yeah. It was, it was, um, it was, I was almost like, am I good enough to do this? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite scary. Um, yeah. out there. Definitely. So, I mean, that's a big thing with cooking that I've talked about a lot with, uh, cooks and chefs. I mean, I have faced it all the time is that self doubt and it's just overcoming that I think, and just yeah. trying is a big thing for cooks. So, um, yeah. So, where, so what are you up to now? Like where do you work now? And just like, what, what is your role right now? Yeah. So I, um, I left, Topa, um, that place, um, in October at the end of September of 2018. Um, but then I started working at this place here in the, in San Sebastian called Gerald's bar. Um, it's just a, you know, a wine bar 
just working with the best um, quality product and, you know, changing the menu every day. Um, it's a lot of free range um, to, you know, do kind of whatever you feel like doing. Um, and so came on board um, as a sous chef and then the head chef, he just left um, in March. So then um, I got promoted to head chef there. And so, which has been great. Um, just the owner of the bar has just been, she's been my near and dear friend for um, the last four years. We, she actually is well staged at Muguritz in the front of house. And then um, she's from England. So um, she stayed in San Sebastian and then ended up um, buying um, is part owner in this bar. Um, Cause they have another one in Melbourne in Australia. Okay. What's a guy named Gerald Diffie um, that owns it as well. Um, so yeah, just been, you know, um, just working with product and, you know, changing the menu every day. And it's really fun because it's just the kind of cooking I love to do. Um, I don't like really cooking with recipes unless if it's like, you know, pastry or certain things that really need a recipe, just really love cooking with, you know, my senses and tasting and kind of adding as you go. And, um, so like working, um, working at Gerald's bar has just been great for that. It's been good for, I guess, like my creativity or, you know, um, just keeping me motivated as a chef. I think, you know, by the time I was finished with Topa, I was quite burnt out. I felt it was quite like, you know, you kind of had to follow these set of rules, right? Cause it was always like the same menu, um, you know, and working for kind of a big restaurant group, there was always a lot of like, kind of like a chain of command you have to follow. So getting out of a big restaurant group and kind of, you know, working for, you know, a small wine bar was just, exactly what I what I needed and it's just what I love to do and I'm kind of just um finding out more about myself as I go and it's a learning process and it's and it's fun and we're just a small team you know we got like three people in the kitchen and you know we just we just have fun and it's it's a very positive environment as well so um yeah you're just working with your friends and family all day you know what I mean so it, mm. it can't be better that's awesome well, I'm glad to hear that's all working out um yeah. great so uh yeah, that's good to hear. Uh, what what inspires you now? Like, you've been to, I feel like you've been to one of the best restaurants in the world. I mean, you've been on, the, you know, a food cooking show. Like, what inspires you to like create and cook nowadays? Yeah. So, what inspires me now, I would have to say, is just like getting back in touch with the basics and really feeling that connection with food. So, um. For me, like I started reading books um, by Elizabeth David and um, like Alice Waters and um, yeah, just being, I guess like food for me now isn't so much about like what's trendy and all that because that always kind of fades away and food trends come and go. I always found motivation and like the passion um from within through like being connected to food. So like for me, that's being connected um, in a way that's not just like mental, but maybe physical as well. So just um, touching the food and just, um, you know, making a great salad or um, also, how else can I put this? It's so hard. It's so hard to word like. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. It's just... Yeah, I get like, I get so excited about like just 
doing the the fundamentals really well and doing it properly. And I feel like you kind of transmit um, that into the food. And for me to be connected, it's just like, that's just what makes me like super motivated now. And seeing, I guess, like, I'm more into now like kind of really like French or Mediterranean and maybe some Italian um, cooking. So people like, again, like Alice Waters or um, even, you know, like up in up in London, um, Rochelle Canteen, um, just doing solid cooking. It's just solid cooking. And there's no there's no fuss, no foo-foo, no tweezer plating. It's just you really feel like the soul in the dish and you really feel like it has character and it has a presence. And that for me is, that for me is inspiring and that's motivating. Yeah. That's really cool to hear that, uh, you know, the basics for me is always something that I always think about, like how am I ever going to even master the basics? Like, there's so many different things to master in cooking uh, yeah, before exactly. we even go to the next step. Yeah, exactly. So it's always like, you always have something to work towards. Um, and yeah, just work it like how to do a braise properly, how to sear something properly, how to um, deep fry properly, like all these kinds of basic techniques, doing them well is quite difficult. Um, and then just, you know, moving on from there, then making sauces and sauce making. And yeah, I just, I love that. I think, yeah, for me, it's, it's definitely like, yeah, it's just what makes me the happiest. Like, yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. And like, just the idea of, um, the idea of really enjoying simple food that's done well. I think that's important, especially for a lot of cooks like my age is, uh, you know, enjoying restaurants that do really good at simple cooking, uh, because those are the restaurants we should also strive to be like looking at like the places that have their techniques down on to a science so that they can, they're able to make food, you know, that is relatively simple compared to fine dining, but they do it so well that it almost transcends everything else. And it's just like art in itself. So I think like learning the basics is key. Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely agree. Like places like for me um, in Santa Monica, places like um, Rustic Canyon with uh, by Jeremy Fax and the head chef there um, or the exec chef, Andy do. Dubrava, I think his name is. I mean, they're just killing it. Like for me to watch them, you know, what they're doing on, on well, over social media, um, just doing it so simple, but it's not, it's simple food, but it's not even, it's not simple. Like it's, I guess it's kind of like, it's ironic, right? Because what they do is very simple flavors and simple, but it's a little bit technique driven, I would say, but they're also super sustainable. They throw nothing in the bin. Everything mm -hmm. is, everything is used. And you know, they're working with small farms and small providers and directly, and that's super important. Like just, again, like having that connection, um, from where you're getting your food from all the way till it hits the plate is super important. And so I think like, for me, they're huge inspiration. They're definitely one of my favorite restaurants like ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, when I was out in California last year, a lot of the best places I ate at, it was just like, like you said, simple, simple food, but, um, it was really cool to just like uh, see ingredients done so well and cared for so perfectly. So yeah, I mean, I totally get what you're saying, and it's I, I think that's why we have like such a good conversation. Is like we both value not only the fine dining, which you've seen like at Mugariets, but you also value the 
small things, a small attention to detail in terms of simplistic cooking. So yeah, I think it's cool. That's what inspires you. Yeah, definitely. That's, um, yeah, just like, yeah, just as you said, like, you know, coming from Muguri, it's like all that attention to detail and working in that way, it, it stays with you. So even though if you're, you know, I kind of changed paths and I found out that that kind of like style or, you know, food wasn't really for me, that all that kind of um, knowledge I learned about, yeah, detailing and, and all that, that stays with you. So that'll never leave. So then, you know, whatever you kind of go into, you still will have those, um, that kind of like ingrained in you. So I see perfection in like totally different things now. And I always strive for, for, for that. And yeah, so it's, it's super, it's super important. Like, um, it's super good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I agree. I mean, I think, I think a lot of, you know, obviously I'm 21, I'm a young cook, but what I've seen is like a lot of people aspire to go to these like really great, like, to go to places that do a lot of molecular gastronomy and don't really have a solid foundation. And yeah. I feel like a lot of people lack that foundation of just like solid cooking and, or even like working in a restaurant that serves solid, like good quality food, you know, like, yeah, exactly. To build that standard. So, um, yeah, definitely agree with you on that. Um, well, and also want to th- thank you for listening to the podcast, you know, and every interview with the same question. Uh, if you've listened to a couple of them, I'm not sure how many you've gotten to listen to. I know you're busy. Um, but what does it mean for you now to be a part of Lion Cook Nation, the group of cooks and chefs coming together to connect and make each other more knowledgeable? Yeah, I know it's awesome to be a part of the community. I think it's really important, you know, all this that you're doing, you know, um, you know, showcasing chefs around and, and it's, it's nice to have like a positive um, place, you know, to share your thoughts and, and lift each other up and, you know, we live in kind of a negative world nowadays and I think it's cooking can be quite competitive and, and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, um, everyone, you can learn something from everyone. And I think, and I think it's really good what you're doing and, and it's a pleasure to be a part of the community and it's, yeah, I feel great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And thanks for coming on. I mean, this, your story in itself was very inspiring to me, especially personal for me because you're from Buffalo, but also, you know, CIA grad and chasing your dreams and just going out and doing it and, you know, just being successful in that aspect is something that I look up to. And I was very excited to interview to interview you today on the podcast. And I'm glad we made it work in such a short amount of time in terms of scheduling. I definitely want to have you back on um, a little bit, a couple months after, a little bit, like a little bit in the future, because I definitely want to hear how the restaurant is doing that you're running. And there's so many more things I'd like to talk about in um, future episodes. But um, I think this is good just to introduce yourself to us. And I hope you'll come on to future episodes if you're willing. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Again, thanks for having me on. And, you know, all I want to do is just kind of inspire people and, you know, everyone can go out and, you know, chase their dreams and you just kind of have to take that leap. And I have this quote um, tattooed on me in a kind of shape of a fortune cookie and it says, um, fake it until you make it. And that was something that someone said to me before I left DC um, to come to Spain. And that just stuck with me. And I guess like, you know, when I came here, I kind of had to fake it a bit, you know, I had to pretend like I understood the language and, you know, go about working in this, you know, two mission star kitchen. And um, yeah, I would love to be back on the show and and thanks so much. Seriously. It's, it definitely feels good to be able to inspire. And, and that's all that's really, for me, that's, that's accomplishing a dream um, in okay. itself. Well, I'm sure someone who listens will be inspired. So thank you so much Jeff, for coming.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So there you have it, the interview with Jess Larigo. Feel free to follow her on Instagram. Feel free to check out The Final Table on Netflix. And uh, like I said, look up Muguri's. If you don't know what restaurant that is, it is a very important restaurant for cooks and chefs to know. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in um, once again this week. Um, it's been really a pleasure to keep doing this over and over, and I'm meeting so many great and amazing chefs through my podcast, and it all is because of y'all. Uh, you all support me so much. You all make this dream a reality. And every week, I'm so grateful for the people that tune in and listen again and again and again. Uh, that being said, I am I have just started a Patreon. I don't know if anyone's interested, but I have started a Patreon called Line Cook Thoughts. And a lot of people have been asking me how to support uh, the podcast, the page, and basically just go to Patreon and get whatever you want. I'm trying to get better equipment for the podcast. You know, just trying to upgrade a lot of stuff. So uh, feel free to check that out. And like I said, just thank you so much for the support. Uh, it means a ton to have people keep listening every week. Uh, and yeah, it, it just it, it feels great to keep putting these episodes out for y'all. Thank you all so much. And I'll see you on the next Line Cook Thoughts podcast.